Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number four in your Bibles. Colossians chapter number four. I'm so glad you're here today, and uh, boy, I appreciate that, and looking forward to us having a great day today. Colossians chapter number four. If you find Philippians, you need to go just a little further. Colossians chapter number four. If you go to Thessalonians, you went too far, all right? Colossians chapter four, and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 12. Excuse me. When you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. We're going to read down through verse number 18. Colossians chapter four, verses 12 through 18. And I want to talk to you about this subject, the letter to the Laodiceans. The letter to the Laodiceans. Uh, Colossians 4, verse number 12. How many are glad you have a Bible today? Amen? Oh, boy, me too. Colossians 4, 4 verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you in them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, notice these words, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Hey, church, listen, I'm not going to preach long this morning. And listen, unless it is an absolute emergency, please don't go out. And uh, we've been having... A lot of movement during the services here lately. And uh, you know, the last thing in the world we want to do is distract somebody who needs something from the Lord today. If you have an emergency, I get that. Um, But let's do our best to, let's do our best to to be still today if we can. Let's, Let's talk about the letter to the Laodiceans today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness and for your blessings and for your so great salvation. And now, Lord, as we take just a few moments and try to uh, give your people what you have given me in the privacy of the study, uh, Lord, a message that I believe really could be life-changing. I, it really could be. Lord, if, if we would get it, if we'll get what I'm going to teach, preach today, God, it could really transform our homes, our families, our individual lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray for your help, and we pray, Father, that you might bind the powers of darkness And Lord, keep your blessings within this place. Protect us and help us. And we pray that Jesus will receive glory and praise and honor from all that's done. In his precious name we pray and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. And so I want to talk to you about the letter to the Laodiceans. By the way, I chose this picture on purpose. And the reason is because I at least want you to get an idea. That is Laodicea that you see on the screen right there. The church that I'm talking about today is, is no longer there. Uh, but that, that's at least a picture of some of the ruins that are, in, <clears throat> that are in Laodicea. And I'm talking about the letter to the Laodiceans. Now you say, preacher, I don't understand your title today. Uh, I've heard of the letter to the Galatians. 
and I've heard of the letter to uh, the Colossians, and I've heard of the letter to the Philippians, but I've never noticed a letter in the Bible made out to the Laodiceans. But here in the book of Colossians, when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the letter to the Colossians, it's interesting that he made it specifically known and clearly known that this letter was also to be addressed to the church of Laodicea. Look, if you will, back in your Bibles in Colossians chapter 4 and look at verse 16. And Paul says, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And then he says, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, which was probably the book of Ephesians. And so he says, uh, I'm giving you this letter to the Colossians, but he said, I want you to make sure, I want you to make sure that this letter, this letter to the Colossians gets read to those in the church of Laodicea. Now, if you were to take a map today, uh, Colossae would be about nine miles or so, nine and a half maybe, but about nine miles from Laodicea. So they were very, very close. And so when Paul sent this letter to Colossae, to the Christians at Colossae, he said, make sure, make sure that you read this letter in the church of Laodicea. Well, that's not a foreign name. If you've been studying your Bible any time at all, you know this. You know the Bible has quite a bit to say about the church of Laodicea. I want you to hold your place, if you will, at Colossians chapter 4, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation today. <clears throat> Revelation chapter number 3, and in Revelation 3, among the what's called the seven churches of Revelation, we find the church of Laodicea mentioned very, very specifically. And I want to I, I draw your attention to it, if I could. Revelation 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Look what he says about this church, verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And then the Lord says this, I would, or I wish, I would thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, church, you study this out for yourself. Don't take my word for this. But that is a reference to vomiting. That's what, Paul, that's what, what, what the Lord is saying, that you are not hot, you're not cold. He said about this church that you are lukewarm. And basically, the Lord was saying, you make me want to get sick. You're nauseating to me. That's what he's saying. Uh, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now he's saying all this about the church of Laodicea. He said, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. And then Jesus says this. This is not, now we use this sometimes to the sinner and I used it this week and, and I believe it's all right if we maybe use it in this light but I'm gonna be honest with you. This next verse is not to the sinner. This next verse is to the church. And he's talking to the church. And he says to the church of Laodicea, behold, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Now, church, do y'all know what that means? That means that Jesus was not on the inside. He was on the outside. 
He was standing at the door of this church and knocking, saying, please let me in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, many, many scholars believe this, and I'm, I'm, I'm among that crowd. I'm not a, not a scholar, but I'm among that crowd. They believe that the seven churches of Asia, number one, were literal churches. I believe that. I believe they were literal churches. They also believe that each of the seven churches uh, of Asia in the book of Revelation represents a unique time in church history. And I also believe that. Let me give you some for instances. Uh, we did not read it today, but in Revelation chapter 2, the Bible talks about the church of Ephesus. Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus is believed to be the apostolic church. And it's believed to represent the time period between AD 70 and AD 170. Going somewhere, so hang in there with me. Then we read about the church of Smyrna. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, it's believed to be the persecuted church. And Smyrna is believed to be that time period around A.D. 170 to A.D. 312. Then we come to the church of Pergamum. And the church of Pergamum was believed to be the state church and probably measured the time around A.D. 312 to A.D. 606. Then Thyatira in Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. It's believed to be the papal church. And it's also believed to represent that time of AD 606 to AD 1520, the year 1520. Then the church of Sardis in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. And the church of Sardis is believed to be the formalistic church, a period between the year 1520 and 1715. And we're getting closer and closer to us. Uh, then the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. And the church of Philadelphia is to believe to be the missionary church. And it measured the time around 1750 to the year 1900. And then we come to the seventh church. And that's the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea is believed to be what's called the apostate church. The apostate church. The church with a lukewarm faith. You say, preacher, what time is the, is the church of Laodicea supposed to represent? You're living in it right now. We are living, at least many scholars believe, and I believe that we are living in the Laodicean age right now. The, 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 the age of the apostate church. It's not that they don't know the truth, but they've turned away from the truth. That's what apostasy means. It's not they've never heard it. Brother, if anybody's heard it, America has heard the truth. And yet we're living in a day, we're living in a time when the church has chosen to turn away from the truth, amen, and the word of God, and we are, we are now that apostate church. And so Laodicea is to believe to be the, the present age, the lukewarm church, the complacent church, the satisfied church, the independent church, the, the proud church. And it's really interesting. And the other day when I was reading this, the Holy Ghost just made this leap off the page to me. It's really interesting that when Paul writes the, the, the letter to the Colossians, he says to them, make sure you take this letter nine miles up the road and make sure you read it to the church of Laodicea. We found that in verse number 16. So that means this. If, we, if there is a book, if there's any book that we need to hear in this day and time, it's the, it's the book of Colossians because we're living in that Laodicean age. We're living in that time when the church is complacent and lukewarm and they're not hot and they're not cold. And, and Paul says, hey, listen, you make sure 
Make sure you read this book of Colossians. Make sure you read this book to this Laodicean church. And now you say, preacher, what is it? What, what, what's so important about Colossians? What is it in Colossians that, that the Holy Spirit wanted the church of Laodicea to hear? This lukewarm, cold, complacent, satisfied, rich, proud church. What is it that the Holy Spirit specifically wanted them to hear in the book of Colossians? Well, there are three major topics in the book of Colossians. Now, there are others, but there are three major topics in the book of Colossians. And that's why I believe that the Holy Spirit wanted this letter read to the Laodicean church. Will you say, preacher, what are those topics? I'm gonna share those topics with you today. Number one is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of Christ. Now look back at Colossians, uh, look at Colossians chapter one in your Bibles and look, if you will, at verse number 16. We did not read this this morning, but we're gonna, we're gonna work our way around Colossians a little bit today. Colossians chapter one, verse 16. Very important, very important. Colossians one, verse 16. The Bible says, for by him, Jesus, for by him were all things created that are, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Watch this now. All things were created by him. And look at the next three words. And what's it say? And for him. Look at verse 17. Very important. And he, Jesus, and he, Christ, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, and he, Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from, uh, from the dead, that in all things he might have, notice the word, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the preeminence. So, so a major, major theme of the book of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. And so when the Holy Spirit gave this letter to Paul to give to the Colossians, he said, whatever you do, make sure you do this. Make sure, make sure that this letter, Colossians, is read to the church of Laodicea. Why? Because in this book is the, is the theme of preeminence. It's the Greek word prototuo. And it means this, to hold first place. To hold first place. Preeminence means this, that he ought to have first place in every part of your life. Amen. Amen. And boy, when you read this in its context, it makes so much sense. Now, somebody says, preacher, why was the Lord so adamant about this letter being read to the church of Laodicea? Well, you know what I believe? I believe the church of Laodicea had become really busy with life. We read it just a moment ago. The Bible says they were rich and increased with goods and didn't feel like they had need of anything. You know what I really believe about the church of Laodicea? At one time, it was a good church. It was a thriving church. It was a blessed church. But you know what happened? They got so caught up with stuff. They got so caught up with belongings. They got so caught up with property. They got so caught up with this and that. That you know what? They, they, they got so consumed with making money. They got so consumed with their jobs. They got so consumed with their careers. They got so consumed with their realty. They got so consumed with, with uh, all that was going on. And the Spirit of God said, hey, 
you make sure you send this letter nine miles down the road and make sure they read it. Why? Because it is time to put Jesus back in first place again. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, church, did you know that a job is not what it's all about? Now, I'm not against you working a job. I think you ought to work a job. I think you ought to support your family. And anybody who doesn't support their family, the Bible says is worse than an infidel. I'm for you working. And I know I pastor some hard, hardworking people. But oh, listen to me, kids, teenagers, young people, that career is not why you're here. You weren't created to be an IBM executive. You weren't created to carry a laptop around or a, a briefcase. You were created. You were created for the glory of God. Amen. But yet we're living in that culture. We're living in that Laodicean age where the almighty dollar is everything. And so we'll say, are you going to church anywhere? No, I can't go to church. You can't go to church? No, I, I have to work. Well, we all have to work. If we're going to support our family and put food in our mouth, we all have to work. But this is what our Bible is saying. You better make sure you put Jesus first place. You know, they were placing very little emphasis on the spiritual and a great emphasis on that which was not spiritual. I want to ask you a question. How many think that Hamish Harding, anybody recognize that name? Hamish Harding. Just don't recognize that. He was one of the men on the sub that went down to the Titanic. You know what his net worth was? He was a billionaire. Are y'all listening to me? He was a billionaire. I ask you a question. What's that billion doing for him right now? You think right now that Hamish Harding is worrying about his billions? That he's worrying about his millions? That he's worrying about his corporations? Oh, listen, church. Uh, boy, we, we've, got a great, we've got a great truth here. And this is what he's saying. You better put Christ in every part of your life and make him first place. Does Jesus have first place in your schedule? Does Jesus have first place in your finances? Does Jesus have first place in your child rearing? Does Christ have first place in your appearance? Does Jesus have first place in your language? I'm talking about preeminence. Preeminence. Jesus Christ ought to have preeminence. I was reading this week about Martin Luther, not Martin Luther, King Martin Luther. Martin Luther was saved out of a, out of a Catholic background. In fact, he was a Catholic priest and, and came to faith in Christ and uh, and uh, Martin Luther was serious about Christ having preeminence. And I read this this uh, last little bit, and, and I thought this was interesting. Martin Luther said, I desire above all things that my name should be concealed and that none be called by the name of Lutheran, but of Christian. What is Luther? My doctrine is not mine, but Christ. I was not crucified for any. How comes it to pass that I, who am but a filthy, stinking bag of worms, that any of the sons of God should be denominated from my name. Away with these schismatical names. Let us be denominated from Christ, from whom alone we have our doctrine. S.B. Gordon said it like this, in every heart there's a throne. Listen to this. In every heart there's a throne. When self is on that throne, Christ is on the cross. But when self is on the cross, Christ is on the throne. Oh, yes. You'll get that tomorrow. Adrian Rogers said it like this in your heart right now. More than anything else, is Jesus Christ preeminent? 
I want to tell you something, and I want you to hear it and hear it well. Jesus Christ is not looking for a place in your life. He doesn't want a place in your life. Jesus Christ is not looking for prominence in your life. He does not want prominence in your life. Jesus Christ deserves and demands preeminence in your life. Jesus Christ is not someone that you can tack on to your life. Jesus Christ doesn't want to be the spare tire, dear friend. He is the steering wheel. Jesus Christ is to be Lord of your life. Listen, preeminence, preeminence. Listen, is Jesus Christ first in your life? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. People don't mind you being a little Christian. Is that true? People don't mind you being a little religious. But whatever you do, don't put Jesus first. Because when you start giving him preeminence, people begin to take notice. And when you begin to show up for Sunday night church, they want to know what you do, what are you doing? What kind of cult are you involved in? And when you go back on Wednesday night, and then you go back to revival, and then you get involved in the ministry, and then you help out with vacation Bible school, and then you're giving your tithe every week, and sometimes family members look on and they're like, man, what in the world is your deal? And this is the deal. It's called making Jesus Christ preeminent, preeminent, preeminent. Oh, yes, good neighbor. I feel some preach coming on this morning. Preeminent in your life. Don't you try to sit there and tell me that Jesus is preeminent in your life, and we can't even beg, borrow, steal to get you in that house of God. I'm going to tell you, I was, born light, I was born in the night, but I wasn't born last night. Hey, man. Hey, man. People say, well, here he goes. Here he goes. Passing the offering plates again. Did you know if Jesus is preeminent in your life, you can't wait till the offering takes place? Hallelujah. Offering time again. Glory. Man, if, you know what? If Jesus is preeminent in your life, man, you're thankful for a service that goes a little long and people are getting saved and the altar's full. And Man, you're thankful if Jesus is preeminent in your life. You're thankful for vacation Bible school. You're thankful for the word of God. You're thankful for preaching. You're thankful for singing. I'm telling you, we are living in a world that is religious, but they're lost. They are lost. And Paul writes to this church and he says, listen, make sure you make sure you carry this letter down the road and make sure that it is read to the church of Laodicea. Old story, old story. Fellow was taking snowmobile lessons and it was the instructor out there and there were several snowmobiles and students and, and he was taking them through all the, you know, what you do and how you turn it on, how do you steer it and you know, all that kind of thing. And he, he said as the instructor was going over things with all the, the class, he said he looked and he noticed on his snowmobile there was no rear view mirrors on his snowmobile. And he thought, that's odd. And then he got to looking at all the other snowmobiles of the students and none of theirs had rear view mirrors. And then he looked at the instructor. He looked at the leader. His had rear view mirrors. And he said to the instructor, he said, he said, I have a question. He said, why is it that, that uh, your snowmobile has rear view mirrors? But he said, none of ours do. And the instructor said, because I don't want you looking behind you. I want you to keep your eyes on the instructor. Oh, yes, yes. I'm talking about preeminence. Hey, Calvary Baptist Church, you know what we need to do? We need to give God preeminence, preeminence. 
Now, I know, I know, I know we're going to stand out. I know people are going to call us crazy. I know people are going to say we're a bunch of holy rollers. I get all that. Uh, but I'm telling you, you just go ahead, just go ahead and make Jesus first place. Make Jesus, amen, amen. I'm trying to get off this point, but I can't. Just make Jesus preeminent. Just put him first place in everything you do. Put him first place in your marriage. Put him first place in your marriage. I said put him first place in your marriage. I said put him first place in your marriage. I said put him first place in your marriage. Put him first place in your home. Put him first place in your ministry. Put him first place in your finances. Listen, everything you do, put him first. Preeminence, preeminence. And so Paul says, hey, make sure you read this letter to the church of Laodicea. Now, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because they had taken Jesus and put him on a back burner. They put him on a back burner. And that's why they got cold and indifferent. And so we see the theme of preeminence, but look at this uh, quickly, quickly. Number two, we see the theme of the power of the gospel. Now look, if you will, at Colossians chapter two and look at verse number six. Colossians two, verse six, the Bible says, as ye have therefore received Christ. How many are glad you received Christ? Amen. Yes, they're talking our language. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Look at verse seven. The Bible says rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Oh, I love this. You know what Paul was saying to this church? The gospel, the gospel reconciles you to a relationship with God. Did you know it's no longer about keeping the law? That's what he's saying. It's no longer about keeping the law. It's not about your good works. It's not about religion. It's not about your religiosity. Uh, you know what? You need to understand something that the gospel, the gospel will change your life. That's what he's saying, that there's power in the gospel. Did you know that if someone has been genuinely born again, there's gonna be a change. Now, what's wrong with us, church? If preachers preach that anymore, it's like we're preaching Spanish. It's like we're preaching some kind of a heresy to say that if you're in Christ, there's gonna be a change. Is that not what our Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter five? If any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. Old things are what? passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, if you are really saved, if you are transformed by the gospel, there's going to be a change take place in your life. I'm not saying you're going to become super Christian overnight. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you're going to be a preacher or that you're going to go to Spain as a missionary necessarily. But I am saying this, if you genuinely come to Christ in faith, there is going to be a change that takes place in your life. And that's what Paul is saying. And Paul says, hey, church, you make sure, you make sure you, you read this letter to the church of Laodiceans. Why? Because I want them to understand something. They need to understand the preeminence of Christ. Put Jesus back first again. Is Jesus Christ first in your life? If anybody else or if anything else has first 
place in your life, you're sinning. I'm going to tell you what, I love this little redhead down here. Man, I mean, I just love her. But she understands something. She's not number one. She's number two. I'm so thankful for my kids. I love my kids. And man, those grandkids, brother, wow. If we'd have known they were that great, we could have just had those first. Amen? I went, yeah. And I, we love our little grandkids, and we love getting to spend time with them and, and see them. But our grandkids can't be first. They have to be second. And your job can't be first. Your job's got to be second. And your career that you have been living for all this time, your career's got to be second. It can't be first. You know why? Because that's, that, that, only, that place is only held for one, Jesus Christ. He deserves the preeminence of Christ, the preeminence. And then we see the power of the gospel. Let's bring this thing to a close, but hang in there with me for a few more minutes. We not only see the theme of the preeminence of Christ, the power of the gospel, but number three, we see the theme of the putting on of the new man. Now look with me, Colossians 3 and verse 5. We're going to read some scripture, quite a bit of scripture. Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says to the church here, mortify. Everybody know what mortify means? Y'all know what a mortician is? What's a mortician do? They take care of dead bodies, don't they? And the Bible says that we're to mortify something. We're to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. In other words, we're to die to self. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Look at verse 8, verse 8. But now ye also, notice the words, but now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have, notice the words, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, look at verse 10, and have what? And have, what's the two words? And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, him that created him. Look at verse number 12. Paul says in verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, look at the words, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Why? did Paul want this letter read to the church of the Laodiceans because the book of Colossians emphasizes the putting on of the new man. The putting on of the new man. What's that mean, preacher? It means we are to put off bitterness and put on forgiveness. We are to put off selfishness and put on charity. We are to put off ungratefulness and put on gratitude. We are to put off corrupt speech and put on Christian speech. Now, is that a big deal? It may not be a big deal to you. To these people, it was huge. You know why? Because Paul was talking about a radical change 
This was a radical change of life for these people. These people that lived in Colossae, these people that lived in Laodicea. Did you know that most Greek and Roman religions taught that as long as you brought some type of a sacrifice to an idol and said some type of a prayer, you could leave that place and then go sin freely. And Paul writes and says, hang on. I got something that's going to shake your world up. No more of that. He said it's time to put off the old man, put on the new man. Now, you say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, it tells us exactly. I want to show it to you quickly. Putting on the new man convinces a wife to submit to her husband. Look at it, Colossians 3, verse 18. Putting on the new man convinces a wife to submit to her husband. That was new. That was new teaching. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Putting on the new man convinces a husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Look at Colossians 3, verse 19. Husbands, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Putting on the new man convinces children to obey their parents. Colossians 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Putting on the new man convinces the employee to submit to their employer. Colossians 3, verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Putting on the new man convinces employers to respect their employees. Colossians 4 verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Putting on the new man, watch this now, church. Putting on the new man convinces the Christian to look at everyone the same. Look at Colossians 3 verse 10. The Bible says, and I have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Look at verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. What's he saying? Listen, get rid of the, the old man. Kick him out. Get rid of him. And put on the new man. And that new man is going to cause a radical change in your Christian life. Now we're done. You can close your Bibles, we're done. But stay with me. So the Holy Spirit gives this letter to Paul, the book of Colossians. And then toward the end of the book, Colossians chapter four, he says, Paul, make sure, or Paul says, make sure that this letter is read in the church of the Laodiceans. Cold, indifferent, calloused, rich, independent, lukewarm. And Paul says, you make sure this letter is read to them. Why? Because they need to understand, number one, the preeminence of Christ. They need to understand the power of the gospel. But they need to understand the importance of putting on that new man. Get rid of that old guy. Hey, listen. Are you still hanging on to some of those old words you used to use? You say, well, preacher, I don't say very many. It's time to kick the old guy out. Are you still hanging on to some of those grudges 
and that unforgiveness, hey, church, it's time to kick the old man out and put on the new man. And so what our Bible's teaching us here is this, that we're to place great emphasis, great emphasis on the spiritual man. That's what he's saying. The guy had two dogs. We used to talk about junkyard dogs. All you older folks understand what I'm talking about when I say junkyard. Meaner than a junkyard dog. Amen. And this guy had two dogs. He had a white dog and a black dog. And both of them were just mean. I mean, just mean. And he fought them. That's what he did. He fought them. Ears were all ragged, split up, bite marks, scars all over their body. And he'd take them. Make a, I'm not, it's not right, but he'd take them and make a lot of money. He'd bet on them. And they said that guy always knew which dog was going to win. Always. He never missed. And he'd fight those dogs, and he knew which one was going to win, the white one or the black one. He knew which one was going to win. And he would take them to dog fight after dog fight. He'd put them in there, and sure enough, he knew. He bet on the right one every time, never missed. And somebody came to him one day, and finally, 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 they got him to divulge his secret. And they said, man, how do you always get it right? How do you know which dog's going to win? And he said, it's easy. The dog I feed is the dog that's going to win. The dog I starve all week, I starve him. He's going to lose. And that's what our Bible's teaching us. You know what we're, we're to be doing? We're to be, we're to be feeding the spiritual man, cultivating the spiritual man. Why? Listen, church, last time I checked, we've, we've, although you're saved, you've still got that old nature in you. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'll just go ahead and testify. That old nature gives me a fit. You know, Dr. J. Vernon McGee went to a conference one time. And he said at this conference, he said they were teaching them to, to love themselves. Love themselves. You need to love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. And so they taught them why were they at this conference. They said, what you do is you get up every morning, you look in the mirror, you look in the mirror, and you say, I love you. I love you. You're good. I love you. And so Brother McGee went to this conference. He went home. <laughs> he said the first day he got up, and he went in the bathroom, and he looked in the mirror, and he said, I. So he backed up and thought, I'll try this again. And he looked at himself in the mirror, and he said, I. And finally, he said, I don't love you. I hate you. He said, you give me more trouble than anything on this earth. And church, you know what, church, that's the truth, isn't it? This old flesh gives us a fit, doesn't it? And so the Lord is saying, put off the old man. Put on the new man. Understand that your life's been transformed by the gospel and that we're to put Jesus Christ first in everything we do. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, we love you. And I want to thank you for such an amazing book. Lord, it never gets old. It never grows stale. It is fresh every time we open its pages. Thank you for the book of Colossians. And thank you that we're able to read it in this Laodicean age 
That's not an accident. That's the providence of God that you've said that. And not only was that church, not only was that letter to be read to the church that existed then in Laodicea, but I believe that letter is to be read now in this church. In this age, this Laodicean age. Father, today would you work with that one that needs to give you preeminence, not prominence, not make you a, a spare tire, but you need to become the steering wheel today. I pray today that you'd work in their life. That one whose life's been transformed by the gospel, I pray today, God, you'd work. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let me ask a question or two. How many are here this morning would say, Preacher, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would go to heaven. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you just slip your hand up right now. Pastor, I know that I am saved. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Thank you. You can lower your hands. Folks are already making their way to the altar. You don't have to wait. But who's here today would say, Pastor, if I died... I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. And I care enough to raise my hand and let you pray for me. Who's like that right now? You'd slip your hand up and let me pray for you. Can I do that? Can I pray for you? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Is there one like that anywhere? Just raise it up high and wave it at me so I can pray for you. Can I do that? Can I do it? As far as I can tell, I don't see. I don't see a hand as far as I can tell. So, child of God, can I ask you, is he first? Is he first? If he's any other position, we ought to make a move toward the altars. If he's any other position than number one, we ought to make a move. He needs to be preeminent. Are you putting off the old man putting on the new man would you stand with us all over the house this morning father thank you for your blessings and lord thank you for what you're already doing holy spirit thank you for the message oh god i don't know about anybody else but i needed it lord i needed it i needed this reminder lord sometimes if i'm not careful i put me in slot number one and that's wrong. God, you're to have preeminence. The Spirit of God, right now, I pray that you do what needs to be done. Oh, Lord, help us to leave this place for the new heart. Help us to leave this place for the new direction. God, help us to leave this place revived, refreshed, and rededicated. God, have your way, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We have some personal workers in place. That's just somebody up here with a Bible in their hand. And if we can pray with you today, folks around the altars, if we can pray with you, would you come right now? And if you don't need one of these personal workers, you just find your spot somewhere. Just find a spot. Do business with the greatest personal worker there's ever been. That's the Lord Jesus. Come and do business with him. Oh, Calvary, let's give him preeminence. He deserves no less.
We're thankful for the three that have come to Christ this week, but there might be others who still need to make a move. <clears throat> if you're here this morning, could be your first time, your first time. Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Why don't you step out right now and just go to one of these aisles and walk down here to the front. We'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can know Christ as Savior. Will you do that? Preacher, I am saved, but I've been walking far, far from the will of God. I need to rededicate my life to Jesus. That's fine. Would you come while we wait? Would you come? Pastor, I have been saved, but I've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and I need to make myself a candidate for baptism. Why don't you come this morning and do that? Or pastor, we're not the member of a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching body, and we feel it the will of God to join. We'd like to talk to someone about possibly joining. So while we pause just for a moment, if you need to come, altars are open, okay? Okay.